I've got a quote here from Rob Reimer. Rob says, your next level with God lies beyond your current experience. And the only way you can get there is you're going to have to risk more than you are comfortable with. I want to read that again. Your next level with God lies beyond your current experience. And the only way you can get there is you're going to have to risk more than you are comfortable with. I want to talk briefly about angels, both heavenly and fallen. Um, there's a good chunk of people out there who believe in God, believe angels, don't believe in the devil, don't believe in demons. And I'm here to let you know that angels exist and that demons exist as well. And just to kind of cliff notes this, really just make this nice and succinct, um, there was a battle in heaven, there was an uprising, and Lucifer tried to rise up against God. And a third of the angels sided with him and, and were deceived and their hearts turned. And there was a battle and Satan lost. And when Satan lost, hell was created for Satan, for Lucifer, and for those fallen angels. And those fallen angels are called demons. And when I'm talking about angels and demons, the timing here is uncanny. I love the NFL draft, and I, I watched the NFL draft for three days this weekend. My wife is so grateful that the NFL draft is, I mean, just done with, you know, because I, I, but I watched it all the time. And I'll tell you, I was getting a little irritated because the coverage on the NFL network, they had this advertisement, no matter what screen was in the background, for a TV uh, show that's coming out called Good Omens. And it's about angels and demons and the apocalypse and the devil. And man, the devil was like sixth stage on these commercials. And it's a lighthearted, funny uh, TV show on the apocalypse. And, uh, and and right there, remember they were talking about football. There's this advertisement. I don't know how many millions that, that Amazon paid to, to have that up there. But the world is infatuated with the supernatural. And I guys to know that the supernatural is real. It's another realm that we we don't talk about often, especially, you know, we're not entirely comfortable with it because it's an area that we, we can't grasp. You know, it's not tangible. It's not easily explainable. And so what a lot of times we do is we just don't talk about it. And I'm just going to be honest with you. A lot of churches don't talk about demons. A lot of pastors Tell other pastors you avoid talking about the supernatural at all costs. And we're not going to do that. You know, different hurts require different healings, and there's not one thing that's good for everything. I'm a huge believer in, in vitamin C. I like the little emergency packets. I think they taste delicious. I feel energized when I take them. There's times I wake up, I'm like, oh, today's a good day for an emergency. I mix it with like four ounces of water, so it's really potent. But vitamin C is not the cure-all for everything that ails you. See, if my heart's broken, I don't care how much I like that emergency. It does nothing for it. And so we talk about the physical. We we pray. We're quick to pray. But we're also to say, hey, I've got some Tylenol or Advil if you need it, or hey, you know, you need to probably go to the doctor and get some antibiotics, and we encourage that as well. We've been talking for 10 weeks about our soul. 
and, and the nurturing and the healing that our soul needs, our mind, our will, our emotions. When I'm talking about our soul, that's what I'm talking about. And for 10 weeks, whoever stood up here, whether it's myself or Kara or Andy or Dave Powers, has encouraged you to just, just bring our lives into the light. To give God access to the suitcases of our soul. There's some heavy things packed in there and where there's some heavy hurts. And that God, just as much as Jesus heals our bodies, he's also the healer of our soul. So today I'm going to talk about another one of those hurts and it's in the spiritual realm. And it's it has to do with, with the attack from the enemy who the Bible says Satan and his demons, their purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, but I came that you might have life and have it the fullest, have it most abundantly. And so here's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to talk for about 90 more seconds and then I'm going to sit down and we're going to watch a video. And I'm going to let the expert be the expert because there's a guy named Rob Reimer who wrote this book, Soul Care. And we have talked about this often and so much of the content comes to this book because this is an area of ministry where this man has seen breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough and many people are getting healed so the content that we've brought you over 10 weeks it's been robs we've encouraged you to buy the book and many of you guys have bought and read the book and you'll see that we're not making up this content we're not reading the wheel we're taking what god has revealed to another brother and saying yeah this is scriptural and biblical and and we're just going to trust the Lord with it. Well, we're going to do the same thing today. So um, we're going to show uh, we're going to show this video, and here's what we're hoping will happen. Um, just not everybody needs that emergency. Not everybody is in need of maybe a physical healing, and maybe not everyone has the same types of needs in their soul. So this might not apply to everybody in this room. I don't know, but I will say this, and, and this we are absolutely convinced of. Our eldership team, this applies to one person. If it applies to one person, then it's worth doing. Jesus talked about leaving the 99 to go after the one. So friends, if it doesn't apply to you, then you're getting equipped with something because you might come across somebody where now there's an opportunity for you to minister and Rob talks about that. If it doesn't apply to you, then praise God because not every... Right now in this room physically, Marie coughed a second ago. If Kara's you know, here, she'd cough. You know, I, I might have a sniffle. And some are like, no, I'm hunky-dory, man. I'm as physically fit as can be. Who's moving? Let me carry a couch. But there, for the area of, of just... Looking at that, that supernatural attack and needing the defense of our deliverer, Jesus Christ, this might apply. And it's worth taking this risk. It's worth taking the risk. It's worth being stretched beyond what we're comfortable with. And you guys know my heart. I love you. But man, I really am okay if you're uncomfortable for a little while. Man, we grow in the midst of, of un uncomfort. As a matter of fact, we call it growing pains. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and start the video. And, oh, by the way, um, we reached out to Rob Reimer and got permission today. Um, we reached out through Dave Powers because he's friends with Dave Powers and said, can we show this video in our service and live stream it? And 
He said, absolutely, it's for the kingdom. So I uh, just want you guys to know we're not breaking any copyright laws here. We got, we got permission. So let's go ahead and, and uh, start, start the preach. Rob Reimer, everyone. <laughs> So I grew up in a church where we never saw a lot of supernatural. I mean, I don't remember anybody getting healed. I don't remember anybody being delivered. I don't remember tremendous transformation stories, people coming out of bondage into freedom. None of that kind of stuff going on. As a matter of fact, I can only remember one person getting saved in my church. That was my dad when I was 11 years old. So what I remember, though, is there were stories sometimes of missionaries that would come through and they were seeing supernatural power, deliverance, healing, all that stuff on missions field. So honestly, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but my worldview was so limited. I thought demons lived in Africa, you know, but not in the good old U.S. of A. I knew they lived there because the missionary friends weren't lying and I knew they experienced power. But that's where I figured they lived. Well, I go to seminary. This is still my limited worldview. I'm 24 years old at this time that I'm telling the story. And I'm sitting there on a phone. I was on a phone booth, I know, a pay phone. I'm sitting there in a phone booth talking to my wife, who at the time was my fiance, And she's up in Albany, and I'm talking to her on the phone. And there's this kid pacing in front of the phone booth. And I realize he's looking to use the thing. And so I said, Jen, i got to go. This kid's waiting to use the phone. And I get off the phone. He looks at me, and he goes, actually, I want to talk to you. I didn't know him. I never saw him before. And I said, okay. Uh, And I'm telling you, he's two, three, four sentences into this conversation. And all of a sudden, I have a thought that I have never had in my life. This guy's got demons. I mean, like there's some significance going on. Now, first, he had he could not put together three sentences in a row that were coherent, that made sense. Second, he's talking to me from the very first sentence about hearing voices that are telling him to kill people, hurt people, hurt himself, and he's hearing voices. He told me the voices were blasphemous, and I'm thinking, this sounds strangely dark. I mean, this doesn't sound good at all. And then on top of that, the whole time he's talking to me, he would he would growl. He would like go, and sort of tuck into this growling mode. I thought, this is demonic. So you know what? Your next level with God lies beyond your current experience. And the only way you can get there is you're going to have to risk more than you're comfortable with. And so I'm sitting there, and I thought to myself, I now have a pretty strong feeling that this is demonic. What am I going to do with it? I never had a conversation with someone about this in my life. But I looked at this kid, and I said to him, have you ever considered that just maybe, perhaps... This could be a spiritual problem. He goes, you think I have demons? I go, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I do. And he said, John Ellenberger thinks I have demons too, but I don't believe it. Now, John Ellenberger is a guy who I knew who was a professor there at Alliance Theological Seminary. Before that, he'd been a missionary over in Erie and Jaya. This guy had seen an entire tribe of pagan people, people who had worshipped demonic spirits. The spirits would visibly appear to the tribe. He had seen the entire tribe come to faith in Christ and had done deliverance. This guy was fairly well-versed in deliverance, one of the more infamous people I know that did this business of deliverance. And I looked at this kid and said to him, listen, if John thinks you got demons, you got demons. So I said, here's the deal. I'll go with you. I'll talk to John. And then I'll go with you if you're willing to get help. 
So he said, okay. So I go in to see John the next morning, okay? I get in to see John. <clears throat> John's a, at this point is probably in his 60s or something. And uh, I go in to see him and I said to him, hey, John, I said, I met a friend of yours. And he said, oh, who's that? And I told him the guy's name. And he takes his glasses off. He looks up at the ceiling, shakes his head, he sighs, and he goes, oh, he goes, that is the worst case of demons I've ever seen. So the very first time I noticed a demon, was the worst case of demons the guy with the most experience and deliverance I knew had ever seen. So if you feel like you lack discern about this topic, I just want to tell you there's hope for you, okay? That's where I started. I get into my ministry. I'm, I'm a month into my ministry. I'm, I'm 24, 25 years old. At the time. I guess I was 25. I'm 25 years old at the time, and, and I'm, I'm there a month in the job, and a woman comes in to see me. She's, uh, she's from a Haitian background. And when she comes in to see me, uh, she's telling me her symptoms. She's depressed. She's suicidal. She's hearing voices. She's been a practitioner in voodoo and all these kinds of symptoms. I'm listening to this. I'm ringing all my bells. I'm going, this is, this is dark. This is demonic. And again, you know, I've never done deliverance. That one case that I went to with John, we never got the guy free. We didn't get any deeds out at all because the guy would not repent of some issues and so forth, which we'll talk about as we go on here. But... I'd never seen one succeed. And I'm sitting here listening to this woman. It's clearly demonic. And I said to her, um, have you ever considered that perhaps your problems could be spiritual in nature? She said, you think I have demons? I said, I, I do. I said, you practice some pretty dark practices. And she said, no. She said, I can feel them inside. I hear their voices. I know what they were like because I practice voodoo. She said, there, I can feel them. And I said, would you like to get free? She goes, well, that's why I came. I said, well, that makes sense. I said, hang on. I go into the senior pastor's office. Now, this guy is in his 50s. He has 30 years of experience. I'm 25. I got a month worth of experience. I walked into the senior pastor's office. I said to him, uh, George, I said, uh, this woman is here, and she's got some spirits, and she wants to be delivered. He looks at me and goes, I've never done deliverance. I said to him, well, I've never done deliverance. I'm 25 years old. I've, I've just started in ministry. He goes, well, if you lead, I'll pay. I said, okay. And I led. I got six spirits out. I couldn't get the seventh one out. I had no idea what to do. But I know when I don't know what to do, to, I go to the one who always knows. And he showed us what to do, and we got this woman free. Listen, friends. Right now in the United States of America, about 50% of Americans don't believe in Satan, but Jesus did. Jesus did, and he did deliverance ministry. It is part of ministry in the kingdom of God. There are some problems that are physical problems, and people need a physical solution or a miracle, and there are other problems that are emotional problems, and people may need counseling, or they may need some, even sometimes some medication or some inner healing to get free. And there are other problems that are spiritual problems, and I'm telling you, no amount of drugs, no amount of counseling, no medicine is going to help them. They need a deliverance. And that's the kind of stuff that Jesus did, and he equipped the disciples to do as well. My basic philosophy of ministry is very simple. We ought to do what Jesus did. Jesus cast out demons, healed the sick, set the captives free, saved the lost, and preached the good news of the kingdom to make disciples. And we need to do the exact same business. And we are living in a time of a dramatic worldview shift. Many of us grew up with a modern worldview, and we have shifted in this last 
couple of decades to a totally different worldview. Uh, I, I grew up watching Scooby-Doo cartoons, and this is my Scooby-Doo theory, okay? Many of you grew up watching Scooby-Doo, and if, if you didn't, Scooby-Doo was a, a cartoon where there were a bunch of teenage sleuths. They were amateur detectives, and Scooby was their faithful, though scaredy-cat dog. And these sleuths would go around to solve mysteries, and every show there was a ghost, and the kids would go in and they would find out that there wasn't really a ghost. It was just some bad person, a villain disguised as a ghost. They would unmask the villain by the end of the cartoon. This was 22 minutes, solved every problem. It was great. But that was teaching you a worldview. And this is the worldview. It was a modern worldview. What we're teaching you is this. Behind every apparent supernatural problem was a natural explanation. But the reality is, about 1995... I'm sitting in a friend's house. I was out in the kitchen, and I'm having a cup of coffee. We'd had dinner together, and he had a little kid, and he was sitting there watching a television in the background in the living room, and I hear Scooby-Doo music. Well, I like Scooby-Doo, so I grab my coffee. I go sit on the floor next to his son, and I'm watching Scooby-Doo just like he is. You know, There's a ghost. There's a ghost. It's Scooby-Doo. But this time, the ghost by the end of the show was still a ghost. And I went, ruh row. Someone is teaching a new generation of kids that behind an apparent supernatural problem is an actual supernatural being. They just changed all the game rules. It was around the time, sometime near there, where Harry Potter came out. Listen, I'm not attacking Harry Potter or anti-Harry Potter stuff. All I'm telling you is there was a direct correlation between the arrival of Harry Potter onto the scene and an increase in Wiccan activity, witchcraft and paganology activity among 16 to 24 year olds. Matter of fact, the fastest growing religious movement among 16 to 24 year olds during that time frame was Wiccan. Okay, in terms of percentage of growth, not number, percentage of growth. There's been a dramatic change in our world. In the town that I live in, there's there's two full-time mediums. I'm only talking about a town of 24, 25,000 people. Uh, one of the mediums has her own TV show, a reality TV show. She also has written a best-selling book. Listen, she's been to my public high school about a half a dozen times. She'll stand on the platform in front of the entire student body and has given prophetic words as a medium to individual students. I had to go to the principal and ended up going to the district office and talk to the powers that be. This was a violation of church and state. I mean, who thought I'd have to pull this card out? But I've had to. And we eventually you know, got that removed. This wouldn't have happened in our society 10 years ago. This wouldn't have happened in our society five years ago. There's been a dramatic shift in our worldview. And people are more open to spiritual things than ever before with less discernment than they've ever had. And churches that do not move in spiritual power in this next generation are going to only have an audience with the Pharisees because you're not going to be able to help the people who are in bondage to these dark spirits. Spirits are just part of the biblical worldview. And deliverance is a biblical concept. Jesus did it. Mark chapter 5, think about the Gadarene demoniac. Notice in the story of the Gadarene demoniac in Mark chapter 5, the guy's a cutter. And you could see an increase 
and cutting in our generation. This is a demonic situation where the guy is doing self-harm. And we can see that in our own generation. Besides the disciples doing deliverance, Jesus gives the disciples authority to do deliverance. John called the church to test for the spirits. 1 John chapter 4. And I just think this has to be part of the ministry of the church. A demonic spirit is also called an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. It's simply a fallen angel. These were angels God created that ended up in rebellion with Satan against God. And they seek to control, to kill, steal, destroy, wreak havoc in people's lives. They accuse, condemn, lead people into temptation, and they indwell and control various sections of people's lives. The big question that people always want to ask is, can Christians have demons? And so I'm going to give you an answer, and, and then I'm going to talk you through it biblically. But let me give you my simplest answer to this question. You ready? Absolutely. Yes, Christians can have demons. Now let me give you the reason why I believe it before you, you know, shut off the tape. Let me tell you why I believe this biblically. And I want to encourage you to open your heart to Scripture, not just what you've been taught, but what it actually teaching. So let me give you a couple reasons. First, Jesus only does deliverance, for the most part, with God-fearing people, either Jewish people or Gentile people who are God-fearing people. Okay. Remember, there were no Christians. There were only Gentiles who didn't fear God and Jewish people. That's all there were. The chosen people were Jewish people, and these other people were grafted into the covenant, as Paul talks about. But they were people who opted to follow Yahweh. That's all Jesus does his deliverance with. Second, John tells us to test the spirits in 1 John chapter 4. He's not telling you to test the spirits in your pagan neighbors. He's talking about this in a church context. This is a church letter, and he's talking about a church service. He wants them to test the spirits in the church. Paul's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, he's talking about, again, a church service. He's talking about different manifestation gifts, revelatory gifts, different manifestations of the Spirit that are occurring in the church during a church service. And he's saying, you test this stuff. You've got to figure out if this is from God or if this is from the enemy. This was a pagan society. These people had come out of pagan religions to worship Jesus. But like Ephesus, which was also a very pagan society, a lot of times what they did was they became syncretistic. They added Jesus to a plethora of spiritual powers and deities that they worshipped. They hadn't exclusively followed Jesus many times yet. And they needed deliverance. Next one. If demons cast out upon conversion... Jesus wouldn't have needed to do deliverance and neither would the disciples. They just would have got people converted. But you see Paul and John calling people to test spirits in the church after conversion. It, I want you to think for a second about discipleship as a shift in cultures. Ultimately, what discipleship is, is God is trying to get us to move from our culture of origin, our family of origin culture, into kingdom culture. That's what he's trying to get the shift. 
And the reality is, in your spirit, everything you need has already been accomplished by Jesus. Your spirit is pure and holy, blameless. But we know that stuff's not worked out into our soul yet. That's because we're still transferring from one culture, the culture of this world, to the next culture, the culture of the kingdom. And the transfer takes time. Well, it's the same thing with sin patterns, and it's the same thing with demonic spirits. There are places in our soul sometimes where the spirits have access. And until we shift cultures, give God access, we don't get free. And this is why it's a discipleship issue that we help people get free. And I'll give you one last thing. For some people, you know, they can't get past this idea that the Holy Spirit could be inside of someone and, and at the same time have demonic spirits inside. But Jesus tells a parable. And in the parable, he talks about the fact that, you know, the strong man guards the house and binds the house and so forth. But there's, he talks about the fact that if the house is not swept clean, that demon will come back and bring seven times worse spirits upon the person. I, I think Jesus is saying if there's, a, if there's no Holy Spirit presence inside someone, don't even do a deliverance because they'll end up in a worse condition than they started. So I need the Holy Spirit inside to guard the house before I even do a deliverance on someone. If I can't lead someone to Christ, I won't even do the deliverance. Last thing that I would say about this, that is this. Experience on this thing talks. Everybody I know that does deliverance, does deliverance on Christian, not non-Christians. And so these are some of the reasons why I believe. Now let's talk a little bit about the process. How do spirits enter? The big answer is, and I don't mean by that, that, you know, you drive out of here today and you're a follower of Jesus. And when you leave, you, you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, you have a bad moment and you curse at them. And all of a sudden now you have a demon. I'm not talking about that. When I talk about sin, I'm talking about perpetual sin and certain types of sin. So, for example, certain types of sin lend themselves more to demonic spirits. People who worship a cult practice occult activity. People who age in witchcraft, practice other religions, almost always those kinds of sins lead to demonic activity and they need deliverance. I'll give you another one. Um, sexual sin. Often in sexual sin there's a transference of demonic activity. Now sometimes uh, I know people have been uh, very sexually active in their lifetime, have had literally dozens and dozens of partners, and they don't have demonic spirits. But I can tell you other people that have been very promiscuous, and it is very common that they would have demonic spirits. Other kinds of sin, sometimes addiction. I've seen people that have been drug addicts and didn't have spirits, but lots of times where there's addiction, there is demonic presence as well. Sadly, Satan doesn't fight fair. And one of the key indicators is abuse. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, when there's been abuse, many times there are demonic spirits present in the person who's been the victim. And this is, this is sad, it's not fair, but it's true. I can tell you one of the most common things is when someone has been sexually abused, there is a spirit transfer that occurs from the predator 
to the person who's been victimized. And they end up with demonic spirits. As a matter of fact, they end up with a spirit that's called an incubus spirit, and they will often end up attacked sexually in the night. And they will wake up and feel like there is someone engaging in sexual activity with them, but there's no one physically present. It's a spirit. And that is a very common thing that occurs for people who've been molested or raped. It's an incubus or a succubus spirit. And they need help. Friends, I can't tell you how many times I've had to do deliverance on people who have lived with these kinds of torturous spirits plaguing them. But they couldn't get any help because the church wasn't engaged in this kind of ministry. And it's just cosmic treason. Sometimes deliverance... Uh, is needed because generations are transferred uh, spirits from one generation to another. And there are many times where spirits are generational. Various cultures that I've been a part of, there's been ancestor worship. And spirits get transferred from one generation, great-grandparents to grandparents to parents to children and on down the line until somebody finally does deliverance. So how do we know if we need deliverance? If we have spirits, let me talk to you a little bit about the symptoms. So first, uh, sometimes people who have demonic spirits say they hear voices. And some of them can hear like audible voices. You don't hear it if you're in the room with them, but they will hear a voice speaking to them and ask out loud. They'll even hear it at church service sometimes. I know people have been worshiping God and, and uh, they're hearing voices while they're worshiping. There's other people who wouldn't say they hear voices. It's almost like they have thoughts that aren't their own that they can't control. And the thoughts tend to be dark, blasphemous. And again, I, I, people that have needed a deliverance, they're sitting in worship and there's blasphemous thoughts coming through. They love God. This isn't from them. But they have blasphemous thoughts. Uh, sometimes one of the symptoms is rage. The person will go from zero to 60 in a very, very short second. And it's almost a supernaturally empowered anger. If you again think about the Gadarene demoniac, he breaks chains. That's a supernaturally empowered rage. Lots of people who experience demonic spirits feel tortured. They'll either use the word torture or torment with me. I feel tortured. I feel tormented. It's common for people to experience blasphemous thoughts or suicidal thoughts. And when I say suicidal thoughts, I'm not talking about you're having a bad day and you know, you're having a bad week or a bad month or a bad year or a bad life. You're depressed and you think, I'd be better off if I wasn't here. I'm talking about you're having a good day. You're listening to your favorite music. You're driving on a nice day, and it, you're driving, it's sunny, it's bright, you're cheerful, and all of a sudden you're driving down the road, listening to your music, and you have this thought, I should drive to a tree. People who have demonic spirits have that very common occurrence. Sometimes demonic spirits give you condemned thoughts. I just talked to a young guy who said to me, he, before his deliverance, Every day of his life, he woke up and all day long had to battle these kinds of thoughts. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Those were thoughts that perpetually plagued him until we did his deliverance. When we did his deliverance, he said to me, his head, his mind for the first time in his life was quiet. No more condemning thoughts. His entire life, he'd been dealing with that. One of the symptoms is cutting. Again, the Gadarene demoniac's a cutter. 
Have you noticed in this generation a huge increase in cutting? I mean, this is a, a demonic-rooted problem. And if people have been involved in occult activity or other religious practices, I'm always aware that there's probably some form of demonic activity. So these are some of the symptoms that people have. The question then becomes, how do we get rid of them? So you're sitting here and you're going, well, I got some of those symptoms. How do I get rid of these? And so let me talk to you a little bit about the process of getting rid of demonic spirits. First, you have to break the ground. Ground is a legal right for a spirit to stay inside. It's a word that comes from Scripture, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and so doing give the devil a foothold, a stronghold. Literally, the word is ground. And the word there, tapos in Greek, is a word that means inhabited place. He's saying, listen, don't give the enemy an access to your soul where they can hang on and cling on to you. So ground is about darkness. And light always dispels darkness. So the key to breaking ground is to bring all the darkness into the light. And there are essentially three forms of darkness that I want to cover in order to break ground. First, sin. Uh, you know what? We have to confess our sin. We've been talked about this. You have to bring everything into the light. No secrets. With God and others. Now, I would say doing deliverance as much as I have over the years, probably the most common form of sin that gives dark spirits ground is anger, bitterness, resentment. Now, if you go back to that Ephesians passage, notice the context. Paul says, do not let the sun down on your anger, and in so doing, give the devil ground, tapos, an inhabited place. Now, I used to think that was just figurative. I used to think Paul's saying, you know, be careful to deal with your anger quickly and forgive people. But Paul meant it literally. Bitterness can create demonic stronghold in your life. This is one of the major reasons. When we talked about getting turned over to the torturers, sometimes the torturers actually have a grip on a sect of someone's soul and they need a power encounter, a deliverance to get free. And then you're going to have to forgive those who sin against them. So we've got to bring all of our sin into the light to break down. Second, secrets. Now when I say secrets, I'm not talking about your personal secrets. I'm assuming you brought those into the light when we were just talking about confession. There are secrets, though, that are in your family sometimes that can actually give a demonic spirit that's generational a place to hide. And the only way to get that thing out is to bring that sin into the light. Again, there's nothing to be afraid of. Theology 101, God is smart. He knows stuff we don't know. He knows the secrets, and he'll expose them. I was teaching a class one time at Alliance Theological Seminary with my friend, Dr. Martin Sanders. And in this class, there was a, it was a soul care class, and there was a group of students that were there that had a lot of spiritual darkness. I actually went to bed one night, and when I went to bed, the Lord woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And when he woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, he said to me, there's a lot of demonic activity in this class. And I thought, you could have told me that at 6 a.m. I don't know why you got me up at 2 in the morning to tell that, but okay, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to me, I want you to do a group test, and I want you to train them to kick out these demonic spirits. Don't leave people in this class with demonic spirits. 
So I said, okay. So I walked in the next day to class, and Martin was already there. And I said to him, hey, man, God woke me up in the middle of the night. And he said, there's a lot of demonic spirits in this class. We need to go after this. So he said, okay. So I did this group test. And when I did this group test, we'll talk about a test in a second. When I did this group test, all of a sudden we had probably 18 people in the class who had demonic spirits. And so I equipped the class to go and do deliverance, and Martin and I went around and coached these people. So when they ran into trouble, they called to us. So one of the groups calls to me. Guy comes running up to me like his hair's on fire, grabs a hold of me and said, We need your help! And so I go over, and this young guy, his 30s, is in almost like a, a, a frozen state. He couldn't move. And I looked at him, and they're looking at me and go, we lost him. He can't move. He can't speak. And he had a mute spirit. And I'd never run into a mute spirit at that point in my life. And so I didn't know what to do any more than they did. I looked at the spirit and I said, I command you to speak in Jesus' name. And uh, the, the guy goes like this. He goes, and nothing came out. I went, well, that didn't work. So I, I loose your tongue in Jesus' name. And he goes, nothing came out. So I had no idea what to do. But I, when I don't know what to do, I go to the one who knows what to do. I just sat there and I listened. I waited on the Lord. And he said to me, he has, a, he has a secret. And I went, you, you mean the spirit has a secret? He said, yes. I said, is that legal? He goes, yeah. I said, I didn't know that. So I looked at this spirit inside this guy. And I'm just looking at the guy and said to him, spirit, Jesus tells me you have a secret. Is that truth before God? And all of a sudden, a voice comes out of this guy's inner being. His mouth doesn't move. And this voice comes out of him in this hissy thing. He goes, Yes, And I'm like, that was creepy. So I'm like, okay. I said, uh, immediately, I called this spirit to step aside in Jesus' name. and brought this guy back to attention so he could speak to me. And I said to the, to the guy's name's Jeff. He's giving me permission to tell his story. And I just said to him, Jeff, I said, do you know what the secret is? He goes, I have, I have no idea. And I, I believed him. He'd been honest with me all week long. I knew he wasn't lying. I said to him, it's okay, buddy. I said, here's the deal. I said, tonight you need to go home. You don't get to eat. You got to fast. I said, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal family secret. There's a family secret that's here. And I said, you go home and you ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what it is. He will. And I said, he's got to. He's got to do it tonight because tomorrow's the last day of class. We need it free. So I said, I promise he'll get it done tonight. He, he's timely like that. So I said, you just you go home and then you tell me what you discover. He said, okay. So he goes home and he said, it came to him in 36 pictures like a slideshow. And he said he sat down and got this. This is what the Lord revealed to him. He had been molested when he was three months old by his uncle. Now, you're months old. You have no idea. You don't know that. Now, here's what you need to know. His uncle was in prison for pedophilia. Okay? But he didn't know his uncle would have had any access to him when he was a baby. He had never met him because his uncle was gone by the time he was a little kid. And so he calls his mom up on the phone. He said, Mom, did Uncle, whatever his name was, have any access to us as family when I was a baby? She goes, yeah, he lived with us for a couple of months from the time you were like, I don't know, maybe one to three months old or something like that. He goes, oh, okay, Mom, thanks. So the story is confirmed enough. He comes in, and I called up this spirit. As soon as I call up this spirit, he goes back into this catatonic, frozen, mute spirit. He can speak. 
And I looked at this spirit and I said, Jesus revealed to us that his uncle molested him when he was three months old. Is that truth before God? And this voice comes out of his inner being again. He goes, yes. I said, then you are done. You're out. You leave in Jesus' name. Bang, this thing left. Here's what I want you to catch. This guy had wrestled with perverse thoughts, images in his mind his whole life that he never acted on. But he wouldn't get married because he was afraid to act on them. He never had them again after that deliver. Do you realize this guy lived his entire life under condemnation for something that wasn't his fault and wasn't his choosing until someone set him free? Friends, I tell you, it is cosmic treason for the church not to use her authority to set the captives free. We have got to go after these things. So, first ground, sin. Second ground that needs to be broken, secrets. Third, we need to break curses. I didn't really understand anything about curses. Uh, I went to Africa. I was on a trip, again, with my friend, Dr. Martin Sanders. We were in Nigeria. And when we went to Nigeria, I was preaching uh, on a service for about 5,000 leaders there one afternoon and it was probably the most anointed talk and response I've ever seen in my life. Given this talk, literally by the time I finished, I was talking about walking in the light with God and others and confessing sin. By the time I finished, people ran to the platform and threw themselves on the floor, wailing before God, confessing sin. I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. The next time I go to preach, just a day later, I can't get words past the pulpit. They are clearly blocked. And I feel there's a spiritual block, but I have no idea what it is. I've never run anything like it in my life. So I go to my Martin. I said to him, I go, but I'm blocked. He, he looks at me and he goes, oh, that's just little Rob stuff, meaning it's some soul issue. I looked at him. I go, but this isn't a soul thing. I'm telling you, I'm blocked spiritually. There's something there. So then he looks at me and he goes, did you sin? I go, bud. I know what to do with sin. I confess it. I'm telling you, I'm blocked spiritually. I have no idea what this is. And there's a friend of ours, his name's John, and he is a charismatic, reformed Presbyterian. You can put all that package together. I don't know how that works, but he, th- this is who he is. And he, and he goes, did you get cursed? I'm like, cursed. So I'm literally filing through the file cabinet of my mind looking for curses. Now, I know they're in there because they're in the Bible, right? Deuteronomy, for example, talks about blessings and curses. Jesus talks about bless those who curse you. But I have no idea. I don't, I'm a Westerner. I didn't have this category in my worldview. And so looking at him, I'm going, John, I, I don't know. And he goes, come on, this is Africa. I said, no, I know that, John. I'm with you. It is Africa. He goes, did you get cursed? I'm like, I, I don't know, John. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I go, well, there was this lady. I was with some guy and, and he was on my prayer team. And I said, he still smoked. And she came up to him and spit on him and said to him, you and your pastor come from America with your weak spirits. And then she spit on him. And he goes, yeah, you got cursed. He goes, let me pray over you in tongues. We'll break it off. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm his brand new experience. I have no idea. I sit down, prays over me in tongues. And after he prays over, he said, I have an interpretation. You've been cursed five times before. You failed to recognize it, and the Lord protected you from it. But he was no longer going to protect you because he wants you to learn how to deal with curses. He wants to increase your authority. I'm like, well, I'm going to learn about curses. So I started learning. There are three types of curses. Let me give them to you. First. There's what I call a religious curse. A religious curse uh, sometimes is when someone is praying for you or 
against you, but they're praying to the wrong team. So it could be a witch, for example. I have friends, actually, over the years who have been practicing other religious practices, witchcraft. But they're people that I've ministered to and prayed for, and, and they like me, but they pray for me sometimes to the wrong team. Listen, demons never bless. They curse, okay? So that's a religious curse. I've actually had Christians, on the other hand, who pray against me. Now, they ain't praying to God, but that's a curse. They don't know they're not praying to God. But you can't pray against someone. Jesus told you to bless people who curse you. You don't pray to Jesus for this stuff. And so that's a curse. So sometimes you get that kind of curse. You have to break it. We'll talk about how to break curses in a second. There's a behavioral curse. This is the Deuteronomy curse. This is the curse where the sins of the parents visit their children. And Deuteronomy says when a generation after generation continues in the same sin pattern, it becomes a curse. What that is is a reinforced demonic stronghold on a pattern of behavior in a family or in a nation or whatever. And the reality is, uh, many times, we have behavioral curses that need to be broken off of us in order to get demons to leave. And finally, third, sometimes we experience what I call a word curse. Uh, James talks about there's two types of wisdom. He says there's the one wisdom that's pure, that's holy, that's right, and then there's this other kind, and he talks about it being demonic and earthly. He says it is rooted in selfish ambition, anger, and envy. It's these dark motives, and people speak from this place. Now listen, that wisdom, revelation, is compelling, just like a word from the Lord. I've literally had people come to me and say, I feel compelled by God to tell you this. And then they let me have it. Listen, and that's not prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 says the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, comfort, and encourage. And when somebody lets me have it, I can tell you a weakened, discomforted, and discouraged. That's not from God. That's not prophetic. That's pathetic. That's a curse. Okay? And that is coming from a dark source. And that needs to be broken in Jesus' name. Same ATS class. Uh, another group of students came running up to me. There's this guy who's come from a Chinese background. He is, when I walked up, he is laying on the floor and he's writhing like a snake on the floor. Okay. Now, this is normal church activity for most people, but this guy has got a full-on demonic manifestation, and he's speaking in a demonic tongue with a gravelly voice that's not human. And I walked up and like speak in English because I don't only I only speak English. I don't have any other language. I can't interpret demonic tongues, so I'm like speaking English. So the thing starts speaking to me in English. I don't know why, except for the Holy Spirit. But I'm into this thing just a couple minutes, and I thought to myself, something's wrong. And I commanded the spirit to step aside. The guy's name's Anson. Again, he's giving me permission to tell a story. I, I said, Anson, sit in the chair, buddy. And I, he sat up, and I said to him, Anson, have you been through deliverance before? He said five times. And now, listen, sometimes people have to go through multiple rounds of deliverance because the practitioner doesn't know what they're doing. And so they can't get them out. I've seen people, they come up and they go, come out, come out, come out. And they never break ground. And they're just, they're yelling. And nothing leaves. The demon goes underground for a little while, but it doesn't actually leave. They're not getting anybody free. Okay? But I asked them who the practitioners were in this case. And I knew them. And they were notable, trustworthy people who had skills in this area. And I said to them, Anson, something's wrong. 
I don't know what it is. But I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I know how to do. And if it doesn't work, then we'll figure it out. God knows what to do. I'm not nervous. But I said, I'm going to know how to do. He said, okay. So I did what I knew how to do. I got rid of the demons. They all left. I see him three months later. He had come up to South Shore Community Church, and he was there for a weekend. We went a Holy Spirit weekend, and he came up, and I sat down with him, and I said to him, how you doing, buddy? And he goes, they're back. I said to him, really? He goes, yeah. And I said to him, okay. I said, did you tell Martin about it? Because he was Martin's TA and Martin's good friend, and he's done a lot of deliverance ministry. And I said, he said, yeah. And he said, he, he thinks it's just because, you know, like I, uh, I've let them back in. I said to him, no, nah, that's not it. And Martin was there at the time. And he said, it's not it? I said, it's not it. He goes, what is it? I said, we've left a gate open. He goes, what does that mean? I go, I have no idea. I said, but we've left a gate open. I said, we'll figure out the answer. And here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going we're gonna to go through this weekend. It was like Friday night. And I said, by Sunday night, we'll get you free. We'll figure it out. And he said, okay. So Sunday night, we get a team together. I, I must have had 50 people standing around, you know, watching this thing. There were various classmates and people in my church that I was training in deliverance. And, and as soon as I call the spirit up, he's on the floor. He's in this full-fledged manifestation. It's coming out of him, all this stuff. And uh, <clears throat> I sat there. I had no idea what to do. I mean, there are times where I am so far in over my head on this stuff. And if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we'd never get out. And I'm sitting there. I have no idea what to do. And I looked at Martin Sanders and I said to him, buddy, do you know what to do? He said, I have no idea. And he said, do you? I said, I wouldn't have asked you if I knew. Do I said, I have no idea. And all of a sudden I look up and I realize there's like 50 people in this room and they're all, their eyes are as big as saucer going, you knuckleheads, what are you doing? You know, they're going to take this guy over a rubber room. And instantly, I looked at him. I said, don't worry. I said, Jesus knows what to do. He's not nervous. He'll get this. And as soon as I said it, I had a word come to me. The word was Godfather. And I thought, it can't be Godfather. It's got to be Grandfather. So I look at the Spirit. I go, Grandfather. And the Spirit goes, Godfather. I'm like, okay, well, that's what I heard. I'm like, so Godfather, what does that mean? So I said, Spirit, you step aside in Jesus' name. I want to Anson. So Anson sits back up in the chair. And I said to him, Bud, what is the story with your Godfather? This is the story he told me. He was born on a holiday in Chinese calendar called the Gates of Hell. Because he was born on the Gates of Hell, his parents took him down to the temple and had the Godfather do an ancestor worship dedication ceremony to protect him from the Gates of Hell. But again, demons never bless, they only curse. So rather than protecting him from the Gates of Hell, they opened wide the Gates of Hell. Every time we kicked spirits out, the gates were forced open because of this dedication ceremony, which is a curse. To break the ceremony, and then we kick the spirits out, and he's never had them return. These are the forms of ground that allow spirits to return. And if you are going to break ground, you have to confess all sin, no secrets whatsoever. You have to break the secrets of the family, then the Holy Spirit can show you those things, and you have to break the curses. When you break those things, ground can be broken. And that's the first step of deliverance. I do as much of that stuff on the front end. I always bring people through the soul care material before I do deliverance. The reason I do that is because then I don't have to spend a lot of time breaking down. They've already forgiven all those who sinned. They've already confessed all their sin. They've broken a bunch of ground. Now we're ready to come right in and do a test. First John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And 
I just ask a series of biblical questions. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Is Jesus the Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Do you honor the blood of the Lord Jesus? All kinds of different questions that are obvious to the person and obvious answers in Scripture. And I'll ask the spirit whom Jesus calls to attention to come to attention right at the center of the person's soul. And in the Soul Care book, I have uh, for you a, a model and a whole section about how to do deliverance and a procedure to follow. But what I do is I simply ask that spirit to speak to the person. And then that person plays back like a newspaper reporter. They give me the information they're receiving. The Holy Spirit never gives a wrong answer. He gets 100 on every test. So when you get a wrong answer, you know you've got something dark that you need to go after. And again, I would encourage you, if you're going to start doing deliverance ministries, start with a proven system. Use the one in the back of Soul Care book. Learn from other people. Uh, make sure you don't go it alone. Bring a team in with you. I, I, when I started doing ministry, I would bring in other people that prayed and fasted with me. I didn't do it alone. Uh, make sure you're spiritually prepared when you go into these things. You pray. You make sure your confessions are current. You fast. And uh, the reality is, when you're starting at this stuff, your authority level isn't that high, and you're going to have to pray and fast, sometimes take breaks and sessions, and come back to it. But if you're persistent, and you keep looking to Jesus... And you keep asking the Holy Spirit for supernatural insight and wisdom, and you're learning from others, you can get the captives free. That's why Jesus came. And it's all about authority. We have to learn to use the authority of Christ, and then we command them to go where Jesus tells them to go. Uh, I would encourage you not to go on a witch hunt. This is a reactive ministry when it comes to Jesus. You know, he doesn't initiate deliverance. He initiates teaching. He initiates healing, but he doesn't initiate it. Somebody comes to him with a presenting problem. When they come with a presenting problem, he helps them get free. That's the way it works. Exercise faith. Be consistent. Don't give up. And uh, dive in. You'll probably never feel ready. In that situation of my first deliverance, I'm 25 years old. That woman came to me. I did not feel ready for this ministry, but I dove in because I wanted to get her free. I, I, I want to close with just a, a final story. I went to Harlem one time. I was there with a, a ministry team for a weekend doing some soul care ministry. And when I went there to Harlem... There was a, uh, a Sunday morning ministry moment, and some people came forward at the end of teaching and ministry time, and, and they were looking for prayer. And I was praying for a woman who was standing in front of me, and all of a sudden the woman next to me fell down. Now, you know what? When Sometimes when people fall over, they're falling over in the presence of God. It's, it's, it's Jesus. I think about John, for example, the apostle in the book of Revelation. says he falls down in the presence of the risen Christ like a dead man. That's why they get the phrase slain in the spirit. I mean, he fell down. It was the manifest presence of God. Okay. Other times people fall down. I've seen it happen in grief. That's all it is. But this one, as soon as she started over, I knew it was demonic. 
And sometimes they fall over and it's demonic. And this one I knew from the moment she started landing, I knew this was demonic. I gave my lady a quick hug, finished my prayer, and I, I knelt down on the floor because I needed to go after this thing. I spent two hours with this woman. Everything bad that could happen to a human being happened to her. She had been molested. She had grown up in a home full of witchcraft. She had been dedicated to the enemy. I mean, every dark form, there had been multiple rapes in her life. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. And we had to forgive. I had to walk her through the soul care process. She needed to forgive people. She needed to bring things into the light and confess things. It took me two hours. But the end of two hours, after we got the last spirit out, the presence of God came unlike any other deliverance I've ever seen in my life. She started speaking first person. The Lord speaking through her first person. And as she started speaking, she just, the Lord was speaking. He said, this is my baby girl. I love her. I'm so sorry for the pain she suffered. This is never the life I wanted for her. I have you. I've got you. I'll protect you. He's speaking these words. And it's just literally people, the presence of God so filled the room. People are sobbing. I'm laying on the, like kneeling on the floor and my hand is getting hit with tears. And I look up and it's one of my intercessors there and she's just weeping and I'm getting hit. I'm getting hit on my elbow with tears and I look up, it's the bishop of the church and he's weeping and I'm getting hit. I get on my shoulder and I look up, it's another one of my intercessors on the team and he's weeping. I get hit on this shoulder with tears and I look over and it's my daughter. She's 13 years old. She's with me on the trip at the time. Now, you know, 16, 16 and a half of the time of the video. And she's weeping on my shoulder. We finished this thing and we're driving home. This is the end. I'm exhausted. It's been a long weekend. We're driving home and I'm with my daughters in the back and I'm with another person from our church, one of the intercessors on the team. And it's just completely quiet because everybody's tired. And we're driving away and my 13-year-old daughter pipes up from the back seat. She said, Dad? I said, yeah, baby. She goes, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I said, yeah, watching Jesus set people free is really cool. She goes, do you think you could teach me that, Dad? I said, sure, baby. You didn't get a junior Holy Spirit. You got the real deal. You've got the same thing I got inside of me to set the captives free. That's true for you, too. You didn't get a junior Holy Spirit. You got the real deal. Listen, friends, Jesus came to this to set the captives free. He does not want you or anyone in your life to live in captivity. But you're going to have to take risks. Risk more than you're comfortable with. You have to learn and trust the Holy Spirit, but you can set the captives free. Even though there are things that I'm just being honest with you, I'm not entirely comfortable with, and this being one of them, I do not fear the devil. And I don't fear ways he tries to threaten us. I reached out to Dave Powers this morning, and I'm like, Dave, I need you to pray for me, man. I'm like, you know, the enemy's trying to bring these intimidating threats. Like, you know, the church is going to freak out. They're not going to understand this. You're going to lose the whole church. And I'm like, Satan, you're a liar. You're a liar. And he's the one that's afraid. So I want you guys to know, um, dialogue is now officially open questions are officially open if you don't understand we'll, we'll sit down together we'll go through scripture together we'll learn together and and we'll we'll see freedom together 
some of the things he talked about and some of the symptoms. I just, I just want to impart hope into you and, and peace into you. We will, you know, come us know we're not going to do some, like, we're not going to do like a public call to, to deliverance today. We'll, we'll get together and we'll find a safe place and we'll let the Lord do his thing. You want to know why we've done 10 weeks of soul care, 10 weeks of, of bringing these things into the light? Because we're trying to take away every handle that the enemy has to hold on, every bit of ground. And every time we bring something to the light, every time we refuse to have a secret life, every time we choose to forgive and not be unforgiving, then those handles are gone and the devil's just it's like grasping at a glass wall. There's nothing to hold on to. You know what? If I drive fast often, always. Um, when, when I, when I've gotten pulled over by a policeman, he doesn't raise his voice at me. He doesn't yell at me. He just speaks in a normal tone and says, let me see your license. Let me see your registration. Here's your, here's your ticket. It's been a few years since I've gotten a ticket. Thank you, Lord. And I want you to know when it comes to deliverance, we need to know whose authority we're speaking in. And I'm convinced of this. We don't gotta. We don't gotta have some loud, raise your voice, demonstrative thing. I, I know by whose authority I speak, and I love. I love. I mean, Rob, dude, this dude's an awesome, grounded, Jesus loving, Holy Spirit, Spirit empowered guy. And he's like, uh, yeah, you gotta step aside, and and I'm gonna talk to this guy. And then, okay, now you gotta go. If it doesn't apply to you, I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, will you show me if there's opportunity to minister this to others? Would you give me eyes to see and to ears to hear in case there's the opportunity to minister to others? Because this is real. This is make-believe. This is real. And I'm okay if we're a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, but what I'm not okay with us is being afraid of the enemy and allowing him to dictate to us what we will and will not do as the church. And Jesus gave us that instruction to cast out demons. So, if you feel like, hey, this might, I, I might need this. Some of those symptoms are there. I, I, I really feel like that there might be demons that, that need to be cast out. I just want you to know you can have hope and you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to feel shame. I mean, none of those things. So, come to myself or Andy, even though um, we're not the only ones on this team that will minister deliverance, okay? We've got a team that that's, is, is power-packed and full of love, but come to either Andy or I, and we'll set up a time. And we'll get together, and you're going to experience freedom, and so you can have hope. If there's things you don't understand, let's open up dialogue. There's things I don't understand. And if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know the answer and we'll go to the Lord together. We'll go to Scripture.